All right, today is the finale of the series we've been doing called Whosoever Believes, where we've surveyed the letters of the New Testament from Romans and today the book of Revelation. And we kind of have been looking at what's the the big picture of each one of these letters? Because some of the letters are personal, some are written to groups of people, and we just, the Lord and His sovereignty let us compile these so that we know how to follow Jesus and that we know what good doctrine is from the Apostle Paul and, and all of that. And so today, we're finishing out with the book of Revelation. And let me tell you, it's not Revelations with an S on it, it's Revelation. Hey, thank you, thank you. I'll be, I'll be here all week. Um, I'm serious though, I was reading a book or listening to an audio book, and the narrator kept saying, Revelations? And I was like, ugh, I would cringe every time because it's, because it's not a plurality of revelations about Jesus. It's one revelation about Jesus. Revelation might be one of the most um, misinterpreted letters in the Bible. I believe that. I think people are often fearful to read Revelation. Anybody relate to that? I'm sure you do. Or most of the time, people avoid it because of all the weirdness and imagery. And then some people just eat it up like it's Thanksgiving meal and they come up with charts and this and that and, and, and it's, it's fun for them. Well, I think it's God preserved this letter for us for a reason. Um, I'm not going to stand up here this morning and act like I got it all figured out. I don't. So humbly, this is my attempt to help us read this letter better and get the most out of it. If you're new to the Bible, um, hang in there. And uh, I, I know that it's not an easy read. It, it's really not. And I, hopefully you're relating to that. But here's, here's something very important. When it comes to interpreting Scripture, especially when you start talking about the end times, right? We call that eschatology. You ca- have to hold on loosely to your eschatology. Because I'm, a, I'm what I call, people say, what's your end times you know, eschatology. I'm a be readiest because I'm going to die and be face to face with Jesus or he's coming again and I'll be face to face with Jesus. And here at Novation, we have tried for 12 years to not divide over secondary issues. We hold the primary things, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed as the uh, primary essential things. Secondary issues such as end times, what do you believe about this or that, we can discuss, we can even debate, but Lord, don't let us divide over secondary issues. And so that's important little caveat because I'm going to stretch you a little bit this morning. If you've never heard that there's a possibility of other ways of interpreting Revelation, it might stretch you. And if it does, and you want to have a chat or a coffee or a slice of pizza, let's do it. Um, My door is always open for that. So let's start with a little humor. There's a new pastor. He moved into town, and he went out one Saturday, and he visited all the, the people in his church. And all went well until he came to one house, and it was obvious that someone was home. You could hear commotion within the house, but no one came to the door, even after he had knocked several times. 
So finally, he took out one of his business cards and he wrote on the back of it, Revelation 3.20, and stuck it in the door. The next day after service, he was looking through the collection plate and he was counting the offering and he found that same card that he had put in that person's door. And underneath, um, underneath Revelation 3.20, someone had written Genesis 3.10. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and opens the door... I will come into him, and I will dine with him, and he with me. Genesis 3.10 reads, And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was naked and afraid. (laughs) I heard your voice in the garden, Pastor. Um, As I go through this message on how to read Revelation, I want to give credit to a scholar named Daryl Johnson, who has an incredible commentary on the book of Revelation called... uh, Discipleship on the Edge, and it's really helpful, was a helpful book to me, so I want to give him credit for this. Uh, Revelation 1.9 says, I, John, your brother and fellow participant in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John the Apostle, who was one of the twelve, was on the island of Patmos, and he was imprisoned for preaching the kingdom of God. He was imprisoned for preaching this King Jesus. Rome, in her pride, in the pride of the emperor, did not want to even hear about this spiritual kingdom. There's no kingdom but Rome. And if you talk about another king or another kingdom, we're going to put you in prison, martyr you, kill you. uh, Church history says that when he was on the island of Patmos that they did try to kill him and put him in a vat of boiling oil. And much like Daniel in the fiery furnace, he survived unharmed. Let me give you a little background of the island of Patmos. I got a couple pictures here for you. Hopefully you can kind of see that, but that little red balloon is the island of Patmos. It's one of the Greek islands, but it's more towards what we would say today is modern day Turkey. Can you see that at all? It's not, maybe I needed different pixels on there. But this right here, you know, there's the letter to the seven churches that are in chapters two and three. And so you you see where the seven churches were in Asia Minor or what we call Turkey today. And then here's just a modern picture of the, the island, a little bit of Patmos. It's beautiful, tropical, not tropical, but, you know, Mediterranean ish in the Aegean Sea. People go there today. And, and vacation, and, and they have a, a bunch of old, old churches and monasteries and so forth. John, when you read Revelation, this is important. John is telling what he saw in a vision, not what the vision meant. And remember that. He is just saying, I saw this vision, and I you know, wrote it down. That's important. So let's start on how not to read Revelation. The first, I got three little points here on this, how not to read Revelation. The first one is don't read too much of our modern world into it. Notice I didn't say don't read our modern world into it. Don't read too much into it. That's important. Revelation is a book that is about the conflict of the powers of the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. It's, it's about how 
the heart of man can become oppressive towards people and nations. And there's a, a literal clash going on. It's, it's about the future, but not necessarily about the future. If we make it only about the future, we might make some mistakes in how we read and understand this book. It's the corruption of the nations. And so there's a principle that you can see that goes from the beginning of the Bible all the way to today where nations oppress nations and people. And there's, there's struggles that are there in, in these kingdoms. I, th- I think it, it explains what's going on in the cosmic world, what's going on in the spiritual realm that's being played out in the physical world. That makes sense. Second thing, don't get caught up in speculation. Don't get caught up in speculation. After 9-11 happened, I remember going to church, 9-11 happened on a Tuesday and went to church on Sunday and somebody came to me, as pastor, look at this, in Revelation 18, there's the two merchant ships that ruled the, the commerce of the, of the world and that's the two towers in the book of Revelation. I said, no, I don't think so, bro. Like you're, you're stretching something to fit a narrative, you're speculating and you're just, it causes fear. Like that's what happens with, with so many people. There's such a fear-driven thing that when we read books, prophetic books in the book of Revelation that I believe the enemy uses. Of course, we're to be wise and we're to be alert and to have an understanding of the times. But we're in the care of the good shepherd who is going to take care of his sheep you got to always remember that, that what the modern audi- the audience of the time that this was written, what they were going through. That happened during COVID in 2020 in elections. And, uh, you know, people were like, well, the, the, the vaccine's the mark of the beast and all of that. It's like we're reading too much into it where we're actually hurting each other versus helping each other. You know the number... 666 that's in the mark of the beast in the book of revelation when you aramaic the language aramaic greek and hebrew all have numerical values to each one of the letters of their alphabet and when you spell out emperor nero's name who was at the time persecuting the church it's spelled 666 so there's interesting things to learn about this that that and to hold on loosely with humility to our, our points of view. And I, I, I hear this from people like, is it the mark of the beast? What if you take the mark of the beast? Um, I would just encourage you to have a better understanding of our Heavenly Father and His goodness. That our Heavenly Father is not going to get just all of a sudden you, you do something wrong and take a... a Whatever it is you want to call the mark of the beast, it's out, you're out of my family now. That just doesn't jive with our Heavenly Father. Does that make sense? He's not a God of fear. He's, he drives away fear. Perfect love drives out fear. So when we're living in fear, we're not living in the perfect love of our Father. I think that's important. Fear is overcome with faith, knowledge, and understanding. The more I understand, the more... I grow in my faith. The last how not to read Revelation is don't overanalyze the imagery. Don't overanalyze the imagery. 
one description of Jesus is that he's a lamb on a throne with seven horns and seven eyes. Does Jesus really have seven horns and seven eyes? He is on a throne. But we have to look, what's the message behind the imagery? That's just like a parable. When Jesus told his parables, we're not to make doctrine out of it. We're to look behind them and say, what's the message in a parable? What's the message in this book? What's the message behind the imagery? In other words, it says what it says, but what does it mean? When it comes to interpreting the book of Revelation, there are four schools of thought that all are within the pale of Orthodox Christianity. All are well-meaning, Jesus-loving, Scripture-loving people that don't interpret it the same way. One is a group of people um, who believe that the majority of the book of Revelation has already taken place. We're awaiting the marriage supper of the Lamb and the New Jerusalem and, and final judgment and all that. And there are people who believe that. And I understand why they believe that. I understand in all four of these that I'm going to tell you why people believe what they believe about that. The second is a group of people that we call historical. They look at the book of Revelation as, as history being played out from the time of the church that's going to play out until the end of history as we know it. And then there's idealists who read the book of Revelation and they find principles in it, in that it's not necessarily actual events, but there's principles behind the imagery that you're supposed to see. And then there's futurists. And most Western evangelical Christians are futurists when it comes to their interpretation of the book of Revelation. It's futurists and they're, they're literalists in that chapters 4 through 22 are, have yet to, to happen. It's something that's going to happen in future times. So all four, I see why people believe that. And again, these are things that are great to discuss, but never divide over. So how do we read Revelation? i got some simple points. I'm not going to talk about who's the dragon and the beast and the seven bowls, and I'm not going to do that. That's for a, a Bible study together or, or something different. But I am going to try to give you a basis to which you might actually enjoy reading the book of Revelation more than you do right now. Instead of feeling afraid of it, it's, no, I think I'm going to understand this. And the first thing I would say this is read it with the title in mind. Read it with the title in mind. Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must take place, which must soon take place. The word that we translate into English, revelation, comes from the Greek word that we also get the word apocalypse. And often, doesn't that word apocalypse conjure up end times, you know, craziness, madness, the, you know, the zombie apocalypse, and there's this apocalypse. The word apocalypse doesn't mean that. The word apocalypse means unveiling. And the, the revelation, this book is about, like if you went to a window that was covered with a curtain and you pulled back the curtain, you unveiled the window and can see outside. That's what this book m- means. It's, a, it's an unveiling of the glory 
of Jesus. It's an unveiling of his triumphal victory over the kingdom of darkness, over sin, death, and the evil one. So read it with that in mind, the title in mind. And then read the entire letter through the backdrop of the first eight verses. Chapter 1, 1 through 8 is so important to read how things play out. I'm going to read it to you. The revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the prologue to the, to the book. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which gave him, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Every, everything that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who, who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness to the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he made us into a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory, the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Read the rest of the narrative. Take those eight verses, copy and paste, put it over here, and keep referring back to those verses as you read the rest of the the things unfold in the book of Revelation. When he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first letter of the Greek alphabet is Alpha, the last is Omega. It's a a way of saying he's everything. He he is the one who was and is and is to come. All the things that unfold in this letter, the cosmic battles, the seven bowls, the seven plagues, is imagery of the victory of Jesus Christ over sin, death, and the evil one. I mean, read it through that lens. Jesus won that for us through his life, death, and resurrection. And it culminates at the end of the book with the glory of the return of Christ and the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth where there will be, he will wipe away every tear and there will no longer be, you know, sorrow and, and sin and sickness. Did you catch in that phrase there that he is the king or the ruler of the kings of the earth? Not he will be, but he is right now the ruler of the kings of the earth. He rules the nations. It's not been realized. The nations who rage for power and are bloodthirsty and oil thirsty and land thirsty and all the stuff that goes into the corruption of nations and governments. They think they rule their nation. John is making a bold statement here and saying, no, he, Jesus, is the ruler of the kings of the nations. Read all of how this plays out. 
read all how this plays out through that understanding. It's very interesting. The kings of the nations get rebuked over and over through the book of Revelation. But then all of a sudden in chapter 21, verse uh, 24, these kings are in the new Jerusalem submitting to the lordship of Jesus. So something's going on in John's understanding of how Jesus is ruling from heaven this earth. Second, uh, yeah, second thing. Uh, is that my second point? Third point. Stay on focus, preacher. Um, read it like you would a play. Let me say what I mean. Anybody read Shakespeare, something along those lines? Two of you, okay. Um, it's avid readers. It, in, a, in a play, you have, these are going to come up on the screen quickly, but you have different acts, right? You have different scenes. You have different characters, but one main character. And in this letter, the main character is Jesus. We are the unveiling of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is quoted directly 250 times in the book of Revelation. There, 150 times, with over 250 allusions to the Old Testament. So there was something John saw and something in this revelation, how the two come together. And all the things about Jesus in the Old Testament and what he did, he's seeing a fulfillment to that. The number seven is very important in the book of Revelation. The number seven is very important in the Bible because, you know, God created in seven days. Seven is the number of completion or the number of perfection. And so when you read the book of Revelation, circle every time you see the number seven. It's very, very interesting. Here's another important thing when you read this book. Revelation, and this might stretch you, but it doesn't go in a straight line. It, the book of Revelation, it doesn't go from start to the finish line. It, it does this. It, it'll give you a scene, and it'll give you information about the scene, and then it moves on, but then goes back to give more light and clarity to the scene that, that you had read about maybe a chapter or two ago. Let me give you an example. Um, because this is part of, like, is it just futuristic or is it, is it something, the, the message behind the imagery more important than it just being something in the future? In Revelation 12, we get the Christmas story. Listen to this. A great sign appeared in, the, in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son. Listen, who are we talking about here? She gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Isn't that amazing? 
you went through 12 chapters, that happened past tense. Jesus had already been born, the virgin birth. He had already, they had already fled to Egypt when Herod sent out the edict to kill all the firstborn males and all of that. So this is, this is prophetic imagery that's going back to the Christmas story and talking about even then the triumph of Jesus as victor over sin, death, and the evil one. I find that amazing. When you see the word woman there, I think John has, uh, he has Eve from Adam and Eve in mind. He has Mary, the mother of Jesus in mind. And I think he has Israel in mind too, as, as you know, mothers, woman, mother figures, so to speak. All right, moving on. Fourthly, read it as if you were part of the original audience. So important. When you read Revelation, put yourself in the shoes or the sandals of those who were being persecuted by Rome for following Jesus. It's so imp- if you won't understand it unless you, you see, as they read the, the, this letter, they were under great persecution again by Rome. Rome hated this idea of any other kingdom even a spiritual kingdom. And so they were being persecuted. Again, it's war, politics, wealth and power at odds. This should help us read uh, modern news a little bit better. I, you see people talk about what the book of Revelation being played out. In a sense, it goes back in time and is still the same, you know, pressure of nations and and who's can be the boss who's going to have the most money is it china russia america all of that and we can't read it through the lens of an american in 2023 we'll we'll mess it up we won't read it correctly it's the corruption of power when someone does not align their life with jesus this doesn't just go for kings and presidents and, and world leaders when someone doesn't align their life and heart with Jesus, then we open ourselves to corruption. That could be on a small scale level to a large scale level. And that's part of the book of Revelation is saying, be with Jesus. Take sides with Jesus. Right? Take sides with Jesus. Don't let the corruption of this world of wealth and power and and all of that rule your life. Let the one who is gentle and humble at heart, who knows how to teach us how to really live, align your life with Him. Revelations 1.6. Um, I said Revelations. Oh my gosh. It's, it's a hard habit to break. He, it says this, He made us into a kingdom, priest to His God and Father. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Man, that's awesome. That's a past tense promise. It's a promise that's saying He has made us a kingdom priest to His God. That's so important. Think about the, the early church. They were had, under the thumb of Rome. Things look bleak. Never forget in our world today, there are people in, in third world countries and other places where it's illegal to follow Jesus. It's illegal to gather in assembly like this. It's illegal. You get thrown in jail and persecuted. And yet, that, that whatever's going on in this world, 
does not change the reality that we have been made a, a kingdom of priests to our Father in heaven. I guess I'd say it this way. What felt like reality outwardly, physically, was not an inward reality for the people who read this letter. That brought them great, great encouragement in the middle of this. And I don't think that was a placebo from John. I think it was a faith. And this is who Jesus is. We look around, does it seem like he's ruling the kings of the earth? No, but he is. He is letting things play out right now in God's patience patience that the gospel, the good news about what Jesus did would go to the ends of the earth. That's why missions and and getting the word of God in in, in a local church in unreached people groups, that's the great commission. That is what's happening. That's what's holding back what is ultimately to come. It's fascinating. And we're part of that. You're part, you're part of that when you, when you think about global missions and you're praying, you can be participate financially and through your prayers to get every person, every tribe, tongue, and nation to hear the gospel. Lastly, I would say this. Read it reverently. It's a book to be read with great reverence, just like all of Scripture. But, but Revelation has a way of just seeing the, the majesty of Jesus seeing who he is. I read the book of Revelation recently. When I read through chapter one, um, I was sitting on the couch and I couldn't help but move to the floor on my knees and thank Jesus for who he was and what he has done. It made me go to my knees. It's a book that will bring you to your knees in reverence for who he is. Again, he said, I'm the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Remember this. This this hit me. What was John doing when he got this vision? He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He was worshiping. Worshiping for us is so much more than just music on a Sunday morning or listening to, to worship music. Worship is when You get down on your knees and you recognize who you're before and all the love and all the goodness and all the grace and you hit your knees. You can do that any time of the day and worship and give him praise and adoration. And and look what happened to John. As he was worshiping, this was revealed to him. What breakthroughs are you looking for in your life that maybe if you hit your knees and you were in the Spirit worshiping God, what, He might tell you the direction you need to go. He might show you something, a calling, a vision yourself, a prophetic word. We want to be people who worship reverently and read this reverently. When He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, It makes me think of Hebrews 13.8, where Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same from eternity past to eternity future. There's a a story about a sculptor. It's told of a sculptor who made a statue of Jesus. 
And he tried to capture all the different dimensions of Jesus' character, his splendor, his compassion, his justice, his mercy. And he put this all together, and people would come from far and wide. And they would look at this statue from this angle and that angle. And they were trying to grasp the, the grandeur of the, the statue. And then they, they went to the guy who sculpted this statue. And he said, there's only one angle to view this statue. You must kneel. And I'm not telling you to kneel to a statue. I'm telling you the, the principle of this is read this book with reverence and give him the honor that's due. We're going to go back in and finish with a song. And can I just encourage you, like, worship Jesus. We're worshiping Jesus, the one who came in humility as a man. The one who humbled himself on the cross for our benefit to give us life and hope and who victoriously rose from the dead. And he's coming back again and he's going to be unveiled for every eye to see his glory and his splendor and his majesty. Let's be people who don't wait just for that day, but we do it every day and honor him. And before we, we stand up and sing together, um, I want to give a real emphasis to who it is we are worshiping and who we are pledging our allegiance to and who has pledged his allegiance to us. In the book of Colossians, chapter 1, um, in, the, in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, in the third person, talks about Jesus, that he is the image of the invisible God and so forth. And I took this passage, it's one of the most glorious supremacy of Jesus's passage, as Jesus in the first person, Jesus saying that to us, because he inspired Paul. Picture Jesus saying this, I am the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by me, All things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by me and for me. I am before all things, and by me all things hold together. I am also the head of the body, the church, and I am the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that I myself will come to have first place in everything." For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in me and through me to reconcile all things to myself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of my cross. That's who we're worshiping. Let's stand and do that.
Father, as uh, we continue in fellowship today over food and fun and friendships and community, Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for blessing us. And Jesus, there's no words to describe. We try. But you're the best. You are the one and only. We thank you for relationship with our Heavenly Father through you and by the Spirit. Thank you for overcoming sin for us on the cross and death and the evil one. Let us be people who walk in peace and that are peacemakers. Whether in our own homes, our friendships, our families, and our community. We love you. Thank you for the food we're going to eat. And thank you for everybody who's participated in, in, in making all the food. And just thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name. Can we give him a, an applause from us, Lord? We, we love you.